Amen. If you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Ephesians, chapter 6. This morning we are doing something new. Something that I don't know if we have done in 16 years. There has been the occasional topical sermon, but I don't know if we have had a series of topical messages in the 16 years that I've been here. When I say we're doing something different rather than working through a book verse by verse, we're going to do some topical messages. Some of you immediately have a bad taste in your mouth, and maybe that's for good reason. Because for many of us, the only thing we know about topical preaching is unbiblical. But there is a way to preach a message which is topical and biblical, uh, and that's what I will set out to do. Rather than systematic exposition, we will be doing topical exposition. The key word there is exposition. Expositional preaching is to say what the text says. Exposition does not use a verse of scripture or verses of scripture to back up the preacher's points. Sometimes that's people call that preaching. That's not preaching. A preacher's points should be the points of the text of scripture. And we can do that normally, systematically, verse by verse. We will endeavor to do that in these few sermons, this one and those following uh, from individual verses on a topic. The topic which we will address is one that is greatly needed in our day. When we say that, often we think it's needed by those people out there, but we need to understand this series of messages, this Bible teaching is greatly needed for us right here, right now. Perhaps this study is most especially needed by us because we are God's people who will hear understand and obey his word. And that's the commitment that we make even at the outset of hearing the word preached, to hear, understand, and obey as God's will is revealed in the preaching of his word. J.C. Ryle said this, as a minister, I cannot help but remark, there is hardly any subject about which people seem so tenacious as they are about their children. He went on to comment that there are not many people that he would rather speak to them about their own sin rather than about the sin or the wrongdoing of their children. So this morning I come to this sermon and to this series of sermons with some apprehension, knowing that a sermon series on child rearing has the potential to make everyone mad all at the same time. But I think this sermon series is too important for us to miss, too important to skip over because I might have a fear of men's eyes. I think it's important for us for two reasons. First of all, we have a bunch of babies. I'm talking about the little ones, the little babies. Sometimes I just told somebody today, I'm a big baby, and I, yeah, I am. But I'm not talking about this kind of baby. I'm talking about a little, little child. 
Uh, I'm not sure if you would call it a gaggle or a horde. We, we have uh, a bunch of babies. And I, I counted 26 children under the age of 13. That's a, praise God. What a blessing. 26 children. And, and out of those 26, some were only born this past week. It's an important one. We need to remember old John Owen Gill. Um, and some are yet to be born. So, uh, yes, we're, we're counting those children in our 26 as well. So we need Bible teaching on child rearing because we have so much child rearing work to do. There's much to do. And biblical child rearing is not natural to us. There are some things that are natural, but biblical child, child rearing is not one of those. It's not something that we just know. So that's the first reason we need this teaching. Secondly, we need Bible teaching on child rearing for the reason that we, we, we say this when we see a new parent have their first baby. We say something like, well, they don't come with a manual. They don't come with a book. But in truth, we already have the manual. We already have the book. The Bible has so much to say about parents and children. And then we can't forget the fact that the relationship between parent and child is the picture that God uses to speak about his covenant relationship with every redeemed person. We are children of our heavenly father. So this sermon series, this is greatly needed because it's so prevalent in the scripture. Please forgive me. I'm feeling better. It may be sinus medication, but my mouth is as dry as the Sahara Desert. So please forgive me. Because of the topical nature of these sermons, and you will need you'll you'll be seeing a lot of what the Bible teaches about this subject, but we will be turning to different places. Typically, we camp out in one spot, uh, but we will hear references and turn to different passages of scripture. So be ready for that, and you may want to get a pen and jot down some of those scripture references to aid as we meditate on these verses of scripture throughout the week. Some of the verses, many of the verses, will be familiar to us and others will not be so familiar. So be ready to turn so that you can make sure that I'm not just making stuff up, that I am saying exactly what the scripture says. We begin in Ephesians 6, 4 this morning. Before we read this verse, let's pray and ask God's blessing on his word and on our time in the word today. Heavenly Father, we come before you as children. We humbly seek your aid. Help us to glean from your word the precious morsels which nourish us. Help us to know better how we ought to conduct ourselves as fathers, as mothers, as children, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles. Convict us where we have adopted our own wisdom or the wisdom of the world in place of your wisdom. By your grace, tear down those false and counterfeit things in our minds and, and build in its place a strong tower of truth, and genuine godly wisdom. Help us to go beyond theory 
and to implement into practice what your word teaches us. Help us to live and help us to parent and influence children Godwardly. Especially in view today, in regards to parenting, help your children. Help those whom you have given us stewardship over to be a testimony to your word, word, a testimony to your grace, to your goodness, to your holiness, to your judgment, to your love. As we open our Bibles, God, we pray that you would open our minds, open our hearts to receive your truth. To the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Provoking to wrath or provoking to anger. This is stirring up frustration and fury. Stirring aggravation and annoyance. This does not mean when we are instructed not to provoke our children to anger. This does not mean that parents are accountable to their children. We are accountable though to God. So this is not an instruction for children to correct their parents, children, listen, this would not be good for your health to say, you're not supposed to provoke me to anger. That, that would not be good for you. But this is a command given and it is for self-examination. And we may seek the input and counsel of spiritually mature people around us. This is not to say that parenting is a job that should not be done. If we're not to provoke our children to wrath, maybe we just shouldn't, shouldn't do anything. No, a parent is to do the job of parenting. A parent may correct and rebuke their children. A parent ought to correct and rebuke their children. And this is not to instruct parents to never do anything which will make your child angry. That's not what is said here. That, that you would never do anything to make your child angry. A child may have a passionate anger which rises up in him only because he was denied his desire. And that anger then is not the doing of the parent, but it is worked up by the sin nature and the selfishness of the child. We've all seen a two-year-old become angry when they are told no. And that is not a violation on the parent's part of this command to not provoke your children to wrath or to anger. But this is speaking of anger that was brought about by parental provoking. There are many ways which a parent may provoke a child to wrath. Listen to John Gill on provoking children to wrath. He speaks about provoking them to wrath provoking them to wrath by word, and then he speaks about deed. Neither by, this, this is guilt, neither by words, by unjust and unreasonable commands, 
by scornful, insulting, and critical language, by frequent and public rebuke, and by indiscreet and passionate expressions, nor by deeds, preferring one to another, by denying them the necessaries of life, by not allowing them proper recreation, by severe and cruel blows and inhumane uh, usage, by not giving them suitable education, by an improper disposal of them in marriage, and by profusely spending their estates and leaving them with nothing. I would add that a parent may provoke their child to wrath by constant nagging and fussing. When, when we hear a parent give a command which goes unacknowledged and unobeyed, and they give the command over and over and over and over and over and over. The child knows that there will be no further action. And so does everyone else who hears. And this is exacerbating to a child. It provokes or produces in the child contempt and hatred. And it brings about disgust for the sound of the parent's voice. On those occasions when parents do choose to exercise corporal discipline or spanking, you may provoke your child to wrath by going through all the ceremony of spanking, yet stopping short of a change in attitude in the child. This is anger provoking for a child. I think even more could be added to this list and perhaps through this sermon and through this sermon series, as you consider your own parenting, your own parenting styles, you will see ways in which you may be provoking your child to anger. <laughs> the Word of God is here in Ephesians 6, 4, demanding a change in word and in deed. We have the same command given to us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. But here we have an added warning if this command is ignored. Colossians 3, 21, fathers, do not exacerbate your children. Same idea there. Do not provoke your children to wrath. Fathers, do not exacerbate your children so that they do not lose heart or so that they do not become discouraged. By observing some parents, you would think that the goal of parenting is to make their child downtrodden and discouraged. But we are not to discourage our children by exacerbating them or provoking them to wrath. We can keep our children from losing heart and encourage them to godly living when we cease to provoke our child to wrath. Fathers is mentioned here in Ephesians 6, 4 and in the counterpart Colossians 3, 21. Fathers. But I think this is important for us to see while fathers are mentioned here, this has application to every one of us. And there are other texts of scripture that we'll see throughout this sermon series that do not address only fathers or only mothers or only parents, but can have application to grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters. I think every one of us has some voice has some influence 
in the life of a child. And there's much biblical teaching for us in that. Fathers mentioned here specifically, perhaps because the father is typically the one who may have a tendency to be too severe. Fathers do not provoke your children to wrath. Typically, mothers are apt to overindulge a child and fathers typically are apt to overlord. Of course, some of you immediately thought, well, I know an, I know an exception to that. There are plenty of examples of couples where that may be reversed. So mothers, don't let this text, which is addressed to fathers, keep you from examining your own heart, your own words, your own deeds in this matter of child rearing. We can very well say that this commandment has application certainly to both parents and to all who have input in a child's life. Additionally, this, this verse is addressed to fathers as fathers are the head of the household and thus will be the first to answer to God for the raising of their children. Fathers, you would do well to remember this. Too often, a husband and a father is comfortable leaving the child rearing to the mother. Maybe he's thinking he's ruling from afar. But brothers, you are the head of your house and you are to be a loving head for your wife and for your children. Parenting, addressed here to fathers, but, but also with application to mothers. Parenting is a shared work. Parenting is a shared work. When, it, when it's done as God intended, as God designed, it takes a father and a mother. It doesn't take a village, but it does take a father and a mother. There are times when it's not possible to have both parents raising a child, but this is ideal. And it is a shared work. The first, chiefly responsible is the father, then the mother. And the mother's authority in parenting is a delegated authority. We're reminded of this when we hear mothers say to a child, you wait till your father gets home. Wait till your father gets home. Uh, the father is where the buck stops. The father is the one who is ultimately responsible. Mother has delegated authority. So we have this command here, in Ephesians 6, 4, in the negative, do not do this. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but, and then we have a positive command before us, do this instead. Bring them up. The King James says, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Our modern translations say, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The words mean the same thing. Here we have our parental marching orders. What are we to do? Bring them up. Bring them up. Bringing them up here in this text is a single Greek word, and it conveys more than we might initially think when we read, bring them up. This includes the idea of nourishing. As though the apostle were saying, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but instead... Let them be fondly cherished. This instruction to bring up our children should bring the idea to our mind of gentleness and forbearance, tenderness and patience. 
Can I just pause right here? I'm not going to say this in every sermon, and I'm, I'm going to want to say it after every paragraph. This is convicting for me in my failures. If there's one set of people hearing these sermons who would be able to say, that's hypocritical, that's not what you did, or you failed in that, my wife and children are listening. This is not a sermon or a series of sermons where I'm saying, look at me and how well I did in parenting. We are looking to God's word for correction for us all. I believe there is, there are times when a parent must show tough love. There are times when a parent must be unbending, unwavering. But the thing which should mark our parenting is gentle, patient love. If a Christian is to be known by our love, how much more is a Christian parent to be known by the love they have for their child? The parents, for us to bring them up, nourish, fondly cherish them with gentleness and patience. If this is to be done, it will take time. You, you cannot neglect the time, effort, and energy that will be required to correct and rebuke your child. But you need as much time, if not more time, effort, and energy dedicated to the tenderness and gentleness that you should show to your child. So if this takes time, that's time in our, in our day, this may mean that parents, fathers and mothers may have to grow up. Mothers, we may need to sacrifice your hobby or your alone time in order to put as a priority time with your children. Fathers, you may have to come home from work and not melt in front of the TV or the computer or the game console. You may need to include your child in, when they're a little older in the projects that you do. Yes, it may take three times as long to organize the garage or fix the broken thing, but you and your child will be better for it having spent the time together. How else are our children going to learn to be adults? How else are our little boys going to learn to be men? How else are our little girls going to learn to be women? By mimicking the TV and movie men and women? May it never be. By watching their father, by watching their mother, by interacting and helping and spending time getting to know you. And the goal is that they'll be like you. Now, I've had a habit of telling children that, telling especially young boys, be like your dad. Sometimes as fathers, we don't like to hear that. No, no, don't be like me. If, if you would say that, change. Your son will be like you, like it or not. So be a good example. So we're to bring up our children. 
bring up our children. But, it, but what's the goal? What's the end target that we're shooting for in raising a child? What, what is the measure of success? Some would say, well, we raise our children with a view, with a goal to measure success by wealth or, or financial success of our children as they become adults. If they get a good job, we're satisfied. If they, if they do well financially, Maybe we say things when our kids are small, like, I, I just want them to have the things that I didn't have. I just want them to have what was wanting in my own life. But we should stop to think that the want from our own life made us who we are. What a grave mistake it is for a parent to have the goal of raising a child who never knows want. Even if our children turn out to have all the treasures this world can afford, what is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Some parents think, well, we measure the success of our children by did they grow up into adulthood and get a good job and are they financially successful? Some parents measure the success of parenting with a view toward education. This may stem also from wanting the child to have what we didn't have. We've heard that so often. I didn't go to college. You're going to go to college. So as parents, we often focus on STEM. Somebody would say, I don't know what that is. Science, technology, engineering, math. We focus on STEM or we focus on classical literature. Get the diploma, get the degree, get the master's, maybe get the PhD. This may be the goal for parenting in the world's wisdom, but it is not the goal for parenting in godly biblical wisdom. Now there's nothing wrong with having wealth and there's nothing wrong with education. That is not what the preacher is saying today. But Christians, these are not our goals, our targets in parenting. We see the target here, nurture and admonition, instruction and discipline. The goal of parenting is that our children grow to understand the way that they should go, the way they should live. That's instruction. They should understand the way that they should live. And then the second goal of parenting is that our children would have the discipline to follow that instruction. The goal of parenting is that our child would know how to live and have the discipline to live in that way. How lacking this is in our day. So many children grow to adulthood and don't know how to live. And those who do know how often don't have the discipline, the self-control to execute that way of life. Christians, we must parent with a view to instruction and discipline. text gives us more. It's not just any instruction. It's not just any discipline. Our verse of Ephesians 6 4 tells us, train them up, bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Of the Lord. This is specific. And this instruction and discipline of the Lord and parenting in this way goes absolutely against the grain of the world's way. 
This instruction and discipline of the Lord can be understood in two ways, and I think both are important. First, the instruction and discipline are the Lord of the Lord are the instructions and disciplines which are commanded by the Lord in His Word. We bring up our children in the Word of God, in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. And secondly, the instruction and discipline of the Lord is that instruction and discipline which our children will come to know the Lord by. The instruction and discipline, I should say, by which our children will come to know the Lord. We have examples of this in Scripture. Abraham is an example of this kind of parenting. Listen to Genesis 18 and verse 19. God speaking about choosing Abraham. He says, for I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken about him. Abraham raised his son in such a way that he knew the commandments of God, that he knew the promises of God, that he lived doing righteousness and justice, which the Lord would bless. So Abraham is an example to us. We also have other examples, other instruction. We see this instruction from the wise man in Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Parents, what, what would happen if your child never memorized the periodic table? What, what would happen? Could you parent successfully and your child never memorize the periodic table? What if your child never Learn calculus. Could you be a successful parent if your child never learns calculus? What if your child never reads the classics? Those things may enrich or enhance a life to some degree, but can I just tell you, your child will be okay. They, they would be okay. I know that because look around, most of the people in the world don't know the periodic table. Even if you're like me and you memorize the periodic table, I couldn't tell you what it is now. Most of the people in the world can't do calculus. And most of the people in the world today have never read the classics. And they still live and do, do okay. But Christians, what if your child never memorizes scripture or, or never memorizes the Baptist catechism? What if your child never reads the books of the Old and New Testament? What happens if your children are brought up not knowing scripture? Think this is an easy question to answer because we can look around at the godlessness of the world and we can see how this plays out. But we also have the word of God, which was read earlier in our hearing when Paul speaks to Timothy. Timothy was raised knowing and loving the scriptures. 
That text tells us the scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. So not knowing the scripture, our children would lack the wisdom that to bring them to salvation. Christian father, Christian mother, I'm not proposing that you neglect teaching your children the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. I, I am proposing that those are not enough. Those are not even to be your first priority. The school your child attends will not prepare them one iota for living life before God. That's your job. And nobody else is going to do it. When you are on your deathbed, you're analyzing your life. One of the greatest factors in how your life will be viewed by you and by others will be how you raise your children. My prayer is that on that day, you'll be able to say, I brought my children up in the nurture and admonition, in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Now, I would like to address, as we prepare to close, I'd like to address a foolish idea that some of you may have encountered. Some of you have asked me about this idea in the past. Some of you may not have heard of it. It's the idea that Christian parents should not force our religion on our children. We should not teach them scripture. We should not teach them to pray. Sometimes it's, it's framed in such a way that it might sound like a holy idea. Well, if your child is an unbeliever, then that child praying is dishonest and hypocritical. It's the idea that when you teach a three-year-old to pray, we ask them to do something absent from faith, and thus it is blasphemy. That's the idea that the world has. But God's word has no place for such a foolish idea. We are instructed in scripture, in Paul's words to Timothy. Listen to the child-rearing practice by Timothy's mother and grandmother and how it is praiseworthy and how it is encouraged. I'm going to ask you to turn there again. Second Timothy chapter three, second Timothy chapter three, second Timothy chapter three. I'll begin in verse 14. You speaking to Timothy, you, however, Continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of. Now, first notice right there that learning came before being convinced. We teach our children things that they do not understand. When I hear some of your children answering the catechism questions, what I know and what you should know is they do not yet understand that fully. They may not yet be convinced of it, but they have learned it, and they will understand it in time. And by God's grace, they will become convinced of it. Continuing the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Now, this refers to Timothy's mother and grandmother. Verse 15, that 
from childhood you have known the sacred writings. From childhood, from infancy. Timothy sucked in the knowledge of scripture with his mother's milk. And as he grew in stature, he also grew in the knowledge of the scripture, in the knowledge of the God of scripture. That from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Timothy's very salvation began with the seed of the gospel being planted from the scripture by his mother and his grandmother at a very young age. If we will bring up our children in the instruction and discipline of the Lord, we must pour the word of God into them. Unless you are a very rare exception, parents, you must pour the word of God into your children more than your parents did. You don't have to say, I'm critical of my parents and the way they raise their children. But you can say, I want to improve on it. I want to do better. For a Christian parent, teaching the ABCs, that's what, that's what some of our grandchildren are learning. It's sweet to hear. It's sweet to hear. Teaching them the ABCs, teaching them a little later to read. This is a step in the path to reading scripture. If you think, well, I want to teach my child to read so they can get a good job and be successful at malarkey. Teach your child to read so that they can read the word of God. And all these other things will be added unto you. Our child's memory, our child's ability to talk is firstly that they might memorize and quote scripture. Christian parents, you cannot save your child. You better get that. There's so much. There's so much in Christendom. That says, if you parent in this particular way, you are guaranteed that your children will be Christians. There is no such guarantee. You cannot save your children. That's why you must pray. You cannot save your children. But what you can do is you can make sure they have all the knowledge of God, which is required for salvation. When your child one day may deny God. You can say, but you know the truth. You can, you must impart to your child notition and ascension. That, that knowledge of the facts of scripture and the teaching behind it that they become convinced of its veracity, of its truthfulness. Only God can give saving faith, but he has entrusted your child to you for instruction and discipline of the Lord. We also know that God has commanded these things in Deuteronomy 6, 6, these words which I command you today shall be on your heart 
You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. The idea that we should not teach our children to, to pray and to memorize and quote scripture, this flies in the face of that. Parents, the task of raising a child, and for most of us, multiple children, raising children, this is one of the most important things that you will ever do. This is how you will build your home, and this is your opportunity to shape the world. Children are a blessing from the Lord. They're like arrows in the hands of a mighty man. But can I tell you, parents, the difficult news. You're not qualified. You're not qualified for this task. You are not capable of pulling off the job. And the sooner you understand that, the sooner you can get where you need to be. Parenting is not a job for the weak. But parenting is not even a job for the strong. The overwhelming weight of responsibility in parenting should press down on you so hard that you are unable to stand. And then, when you're on your knees before God, acknowledging your own shortcomings, acknowledging your own failures, acknowledging your own sin, there cry out to Him for strength. God didn't give us a hard task so that we would bow up and get it done. God gave us an impossible task that we would depend on him at every moment. I know how easy it is to forget that in the moment of parenting. But we must remember. Remember this when your child is sick and you've done all that you can do. Lean on God. Call on Him for strength. Remember this when you're at your wit's end, which may be every day. It may be multiple times a day. <laughs> Call on God for strength. Remember that parenting is not to be done alone. It's best when it's done with father and mother, but without God, it's impossible. The, the Deuteronomy 6 verses that we read, they teach us to teach our children. Teach the commands of God to our children. But first it says, the words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. Shall be on your heart. If you are not a Christian, it's not impossible to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The best teaching tool for your child is to see God in you. To see his grace, to see his forgiveness, to see his patience and his mercy, to see his fingerprint on your life. Your child does not need to think you're perfect and they will grow and they will, they will learn that you're not. But they need to know that you are trusting in a perfect savior. This is the task. I'd like to close this morning with further comment and exhortation from John Gill on our text. 
Instruct them in the knowledge of divine things. Set them good examples. Take care to prevent their falling into bad company. Pray with them and pray for them. Bring them into the house of God under the means of grace to attend public worship. All of which, under a divine blessing, may be very useful to them. Parents, we remember these are the things that we do, but it's all under a divine blessing. It's all when God adds his blessing that it is blessing. Heavenly Father, we pray as we consider your word and your instruction to parents raising children. God, we pray that you would apply these truths to our hearts. We pray that you would convict us of sin and of righteousness and of coming judgment. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.